and welcome to this AusCert 2010 podcast. I'm Patrick Gray. Our coverage of AusCert's 2010 event is brought to you by Microsoft Forefront. So thank you to Microsoft and all of their Forefront people, uh, because without Microsoft's support, Risky.biz would not be able to bring you this coverage of AusCert, this all-you-can-eat massive amounts of podcast coverage. Uh, now, in this podcast, you're going to hear an interview I did with Zscaler's Michael Sutton. I suppose uh, in Australia, that would be Zscaler. In it, he expresses frustration that criminals are so easily able to uh, manipulate Google's search results for trending topics and place malicious pages in those, uh, in those results returned. Sutton claims that malicious pages linked to trending topics are rising through Google's rankings almost immediately. In other words, the bad guys have got very good at SEO. But if Sutton and his colleagues can identify these pages from outside of Google, why can't Google itself detect them? It's not exactly short on resources or cash. I spoke to Michael at the conference. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to me the efficiency with which they're able to do this. Uh, We'll see uh, some breaking news story, and, and quite literally within an hour, we'll start to see malicious links show up in the top search results. How do they get something to the top that quickly, especially if it's a breaking sort of story or in a breaking event? You'd think there's a, a great deal of relevant material flooding the internet, being indexed by Google. How is it that these guys who are spreading badware are managing to get to the top? So they're using SEO tactics just as businesses use SEO tactics, but the advantage they have is that they don't have to follow the rules. So Really, we see sort of three categories of things that they're doing. Um, one is just keyword stuffing, which any anybody would do. But uh, whereas normal businesses have to worry about getting kicked out of the index if they break the rules, they don't care. I mean, they'll just stuff whatever they want to in there. Uh, but the thing that really gives them the advantage is um, uh, giving links to the pages because that's how search engines like Google work. They use a, a link as basically a vote. And so these guys have... Uh, hundreds, thousands of uh, domains under their control. So they can just very quickly add links to one individual page. So you suddenly have something going from, you know, zero links to a thousand links in in a matter of minutes, and that really pushes it up. And then the third tactic are are these doorway pages where they want to maintain this for as long as they can. So they'll look at who is requesting the page, and and they'll only return a malicious result if they think it's going to be effective. Yeah, so what, they're looking at headers and stuff like that and saying, oh, okay, this guy's running IIS 6, serve up this malware, or, you know, they're they're really doing that level of targeting now, aren't they? Yeah, and I mean, it's smart of them because they don't want to be delivering attacks that aren't going to be effective, so so they'll do a couple of things. One, um, if they know that it's a search engine bot, they want to return the the SEO-optimized page. So, you know, they'll see it's a Google bot and they'll return the page that's going to help with the search engine rankings. Or they'll look at the referrer and they'll say, oh, this person came from Google, so they found that SEO'd result, they clicked on it, they've come. And then they'll look for, uh, like, the user agent to say, hey, this guy's running, you know, IE6, so I'm going to deliver an IE6 vulnerability. But they won't deliver that if it's, you know, say, somebody running on a Mac because it's not going to work. Yeah, it's interesting too, and I, I figure one of the reasons they do this is because security professionals uh, generally don't run vulnerable browsers. So if you're trying to throw an exploit at someone who's sort of 
more likely to detect it, it's going to be someone with a fully patched browser. So I, I figure that's an element as well, is it makes it a little bit more stealthy where you're only serving exploits to people who are actually almost instantly verified or verifiable as vulnerable in the first place. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because if they start throwing out pages that are obviously malicious, this is going to get taken down quicker. Like, one thing we see tied to the SEO very commonly are the fake AV attacks. And, you know, I'm always intrigued by the, the level of social engineering. You know, you get this page that looks like a Windows page. And to the to the layperson, oh, they think, oh, it's a patch update for or, a uh, you know, an engine update for my AV. But if they deliver that page that looks like a Windows background to a guy who's on a Mac, he's going to know right away that it's, it's, it's an issue. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're getting increasingly selective on how they deliver the payload. That stuff is hard to get rid of as well. I mean, I've, I've been given a computer. A friend of mine said, oh, you know, I, I got infected. I didn't even know I had this antivirus software, and now it's asking me for money. I'm like, oh, great, you know, let me, let me have a look at it because I want to see how this stuff works. And it was a netbook. Um, so I thought I'd try downloading a few things, you know, tried going to do online scans just with some of the big AV, uh, uh, you know, websites, and it would actually redirect to their fake AV page. But the domain would still say, like, semantic.com. The title bar would still say that. But, of course, it was just their software, enter your credit card number, things like that. They've got very good at this, and it's my feeling that it's because it has been successful and they're making so much money uh, out of this that they, they can afford to make these advancements. Is that is that your feeling as well? Yeah, and, and what we're seeing is that the binaries associated with the attacks are changing fairly frequently so that legitimate desktop AV is actually having a hard time keeping up with this. Like every time we run across it, we'll throw the sample up into something like a virus totals to see, you know, which AV engines are catching it. And the detection rates are typically really low. Mm. Uh, I'd say single digits. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they've... They've created a, a system that's working very well for them. They just keep changing these binaries. And so, yeah, I mean, once your machine's infected, I mean, what I usually tell people is just, hey, wipe it, reinstall it. That's really the only way you can be 100% confident that, that you've got that cleaned up. To what extent do you blame the legitimate AV industry? Because it does strike me that their business model is a cut-and-paste job from the legitimate guy's business model. I mean, AV companies have been running things somewhat like a protection racket for a number of years. Do you think this is... Do you think the criminal opportunity presented to these guys uh, is, in a way, the fault of the legitimate industry? Well, I mean, I think it's unfortunate that we need things like AV in the first place, but, you know, that's the reality of the world that we live in, we do. So um, I, I think... You know, AV, in, in my opinion, is not getting better. It's having a harder time keeping up with these threats. And so, you know, one thing I say to enterprises, if you're – and if you look at a typical enterprise, they're probably just doing two things from a client-side perspective. They're probably running desktop AV, and they're probably doing URL filtering. URL filtering, in my opinion, not even a security measure. That's more of a productivity measure, deciding where people can go. And desktop AV, if that's all you're running, you're going to get infected. Um, so, I, you know, I don't necessarily think it's not the fault of the industry. I just think that AV is really struggling to keep up with the web-based threats that we're facing today. I was talking more in terms of their marketing approach and the fact that, you know, that when a user gets a pop-up from a bit of software that says, you've got a problem, give us money and we'll fix it, the user's reaction to that is to think that it's a legitimate piece of software because that's, in fact, how the legitimate piece of software would behave 
as well. There's little to differentiate the business practice of the criminals from the legitimate guys. I mean, is that something that you kind of, to an extent, agree with? Well, it, definitely just the, the concept of the whole push model that, that AV has always had. You know, you have to download the latest updates and things. So I think that's really why the fake AV is successful. Because you get this pop-up saying, hey, your machine's infected, you got to do something. Uh, obviously, people are engineered into, into accepting that. So, um, you know, I think that AV is starting to move away from that to more of an inline model where people don't have to worry about downloading patches and updates. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, these scams are working very well. Well, it's funny. I, I recently did some work evaluating some AV for, for Enterprise, and one of the um, one of the requirements from the customer was that this thing would throw up absolutely zero information to the user because they find that any time you tell a user that they've got a problem um, or you tell them that you've cleaned a virus from their computer or something, it always winds up you know, going to the help desk anyway and that costs them money and blah, blah, blah. So it, it does seem like people are starting to demand AV that is completely background. I mean, it might throw a log event to some console somewhere, but you really don't want your users knowing what's going on. Yeah, and, and you know, any security solution that relies on the user to make a decision is a fallible so- solution. You know, I, I don't think your average user is really in a position to make that decision. I, and I've seen many scams where I think even a seasoned security professional would have a hard time making the right decision. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of anything that, that relies on the user to say yes, no. I have a security package for uh, my Mac that is made by one of the larger vendors, and I've got to say, I find the firewall that came as a part of that the most baffling, <laughs> baffling thing. I mean, I've been working around the information security thing. I've never been a practitioner, but I work have worked around the information security industry for around 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And if I can't use that firewall, I wonder what hope, you know, my little cousin or nephew is going to have. Yeah, I mean, security... By design, I think if it's a successful solution, it should be as transparent as possible. Uh, you know, that's the thing about our industry. Uh, as long as things are running well, people don't know that we exist. And when things are bad, then that that's when uh, they, they know that there's a solution in place. But that's the way it should be. I mean, the average end user doesn't need to know how his AV works. He doesn't need to know how his firewall works. And it doesn't need to constantly tell the users that it's just clean something. It's like It's like digital gloating. It's really weird. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I was definitely not a big fan of um, when Windows Vista, you know, implemented their solution where it was constantly, "Hey, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this?" Uh, just not a good approach to security. Well, I mean, you get software from the bigger, the biggest manufacturers and install it, and all of a sudden it starts throwing up alerts to users saying things like attack blocked and you click through for details and it was just like a port probe you know it could have been some automatic port probe it's not necessarily a port scan or an attack or whatever but it seems that was the marketing modus operandi of the of the security consumer security software market makers for a long time that's kind of what i'm getting at Mm -hmm. is they were continuously bombarding the users with these messages saying we just saved your ass you're glad you know you, you spent your 90 bucks with us for your year's subscriptions and we just saved your ass we just saved your ass and that's that's created this um this mental conditioning on people where, where now when software pops up and tells them, oh, give us money and we'll save your ass, they, they believe them. That's kind of what I mean when I say part of the blame needs to be put onto the manufacturers of, of, of security software for the way they've, they've, they've engineered their product to, to, 
to fool people, I guess. You, you, know, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, sure. And I, I do think that that's a fair point that, you know, I think that's what happens when the, the marketing department plays too much of a role in, in product <laughs> development. You know, because they, they're saying, yeah, I mean, we've we got to show people that we're doing a really good job. But uh, realistically, uh, you know, I, I think it needs to be the opposite of that, that, hey, you know, the security needs to be transparent. It needs to be in the background. Um, keep the marketing department out of the PM decisions. This rogue AV thing, I mean, it has popped up as a serious issue in the last sort of year or so. Do you think it's something that uh, that we're getting a handle on yet? Because it's my feeling that this is getting a lot worse. Well, I definitely think it's getting a lot worse just if you look at the volume of, uh, you know, what we're seeing and, and the success rates. But uh, so where we're having the greatest success as a company is not focusing so much on the binaries themselves that are being downloaded because they're changing very quickly. So static signatures and AV are really struggling with it. But um, we're noticing that they're using the same social engineering tactics over and over again. So it is that same, you know, Windows page. And so we're, we're focusing more on looking for that, the web content associated with it. And we're finding that we're having better success by taking that approach. So is that like a URL blocking thing or you'd taking like a hash of the, of the image or looking at the content of the page so things like it could be hashes of the image it could literally be various strings on the page um, they, they'll even use standard naming conventions with like cascading style sheets and things like that so we're just looking at the pages itself and saying you know looking at a bunch of them and saying hey what fingerprints can we look at that aren't that are more static in nature well, it sounds like you're, you're up against a fairly uh, well-equipped and uh, well-funded opposition there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the nice thing from our position is that we have all this traffic running through us, so um, we're constantly seeing the newer um, pages that they're using, the newer attacks. So we try to use that to do data mining and see, you know, so that we can help to stay one step ahead of the game. Now, just going back to, to the fact that, you know, a lot of this stuff is being pushed out through trending, trending topics with Google and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Look, if you guys are spotting it within a couple of hours, why do you think Google aren't spotting it within a couple of hours and, and, and taking more aggressive steps to remove those links? It's actually interesting that you ask that because, you know, we continually ask ourselves um, – Google obviously knows about a lot of this stuff, and not to pick on Google specifically, all search engines, because you know they all have their their blacklisting technologies. And, and what we'll find, and what's concerning to me, is that so we'll go look at Google trending topics, and we'll find almost always, um, if something is popular enough to show up on Google Trends, there is almost always at least one malicious link in the top 100 search results for that particular term. And the search engines are good at, uh, they, will, they may ultimately block the page itself, um, but why is it showing up in the search results in the first place? You know, if they, if they know about this stuff, why don't they keep it out of there? Um, and, and the other thing that's interesting to me is, so we did some research recently where we looked at um, all of, the, we'd take Google Trends and then we'd look at the top 100 search results for uh, Bing, Yahoo, Google. Because we wanted to see, hey, is one search engine better than the others at filtering this stuff out? And what we found is Google had many more malicious links in, in the top 100. And we thought, wow, that's interesting that, you know, are Bing and Yahoo actually better? But what it turned out to be is that Google was just faster at indexing. So they would show up in the top 100 in Google. And then we would come back two to three days later. Google had cleaned them up. And now they'd moved over to Bing and Yahoo. So I think they're all equally struggling with this, but Google is faster at indexing pages. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think they need to be doing more? I mean, obviously, if you're identifying this stuff, I mean, it must be frustrating when you're mm-hmm. thinking, I'm identifying this stuff, and, you know, Google's got all these smart people. It's a multi-billion dollar company. They're incred- incredibly well-resourced. I mean, clearly, I mean, it seems that they should be doing more. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, they, if we can find it, they can find it, right? You know, we, we certainly don't have access to any unique resources that Google does, and it's their index. So, yes, if we... You've got a web browser, basically, and you can right, find it. Right. I feel like my job is a lot harder. Um, and, and so, yes, I do think that the search engines need to be taking greater responsibility for this to be keeping these out of the results in the first place. I mean, it shouldn't even be there. All right. Well, Michael Sutton, thank you very much uh, for having a chat to us. Uh, It's always a pleasure. And uh, we hope to see you back in Australia again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. 